it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football is on the motorway, or should I say autobahn. It doesn't need its sat-nav to come home any longer. England were utterly sterling and overcome a hoodoo by beating Germany for the first time in 55 years in knockout football. Oh, and there was another match, wasn't there? Ukraine won out thanks to a 121st minute winner in a grisly game of football in Glasgow. I am Jake from What If Football. This is Euro Daily Podcast episode 24. We are available all tournaments on Acast, Apple, Spotify and Amazon if you are very feeling very very generous you can give us a like subscribe and even a five star review if we are doing very well and we will be back three days a week after the european championships with all the usual goodness and some new series as well we're also available on patreon that is patreon.com forward slash what if football and for a small generous monthly donation of three pounds a month that's just one pint a month that you can get seven days a week content podcasts video game stuff as well but let's get in to today's show. England 2, Germany 0. Good times never felt so good, so good, so good, so good. And the team news before we started were whispers of a back three for England, which were founded when the team sheets rolled out about 75 minutes before kickoff with Bukayo Saka starting as well, Kieran Trippier in at right wing back as well to match up the uh, German 3-4-3 system. For Yogi Love, they had Robin Gerson's Tony Rudiger and Ilkay Gundogan as doubts for the match, but only Gundogan missed out. And in his place was Leon Goretzka, who there was uh, sufficient clamour for after he uh, pretty much dragged them through the group stages with a late equaliser against Hungary. Also see uh, Timo Werner, he was into Fergenabry. But enough about that. We all want to answer, is football coming home? Is it coming home? Well, in terms of tactics, I thought the front three were a lot better yesterday. Wakayo Saka and Raheem Sterling, thanks to the system that England played yesterday, they were a lot closer together. And it, it facilitated, or could have at least facilitated, 
a much more fluid system with Harry Kane providing the knockdowns for the two wingers. And um, I felt that Bukayo Saka was by far the brightest back for England in the first half. Germany controlled things a little bit in the first 10 minutes. England eased off into it. They were fairly comfortable in the first 10 minutes of the first half, really. They gave up one good chance and that was about it. Um, they're pretty stringent defensively, as they have been in the entire tournament. There's no dis- there's no uh, criticisms defensively at all. It wasn't again today. Fourth clean sheet again. Um, the only team to do so outside of Germany in 2016. And of course, Germany got knocked out in the semi-finals, but let's not... Uh, Let's not drill down on those omens. Let's stick with the good omens. Anyway, uh, we had Luke Shaw at left wing back, Kieran Trippier at right wing back. Uh, Trippier, I think, was he was definitely brought in for his quality from set pieces, and all of his almost all of his set pieces were about two or three inches away. They were they, they're so good at these uh, crossing his free kicks. They were always just two or three inches. And it always seemed to be. I don't know if it was, but he always seemed to be Matthias Ginter on the end of it. Um, just with a little flick, t- taking it away from a Raheem Sterling, a Harry Maguire, a John Stones, etc. Luke Shaw thought was fantastic, despite Jermaine Genus saying that he should have uh, been pushing up higher and higher. But let's not forget, he was playing against Joshua Kimmich as well um, from right wing back. But I felt that um, Germany, with their wing backs, they weren't as high. It seemed as though they were a bit timid. It seemed as though they were a bit scared to push out. And as a result, Shaw... He capitalised on it, of course, more in the second half when uh, Jack Grealish came on and he, Jack Grealish was often the spare man when he came on and it gave um, gave Luke Shaw a bit more licence to go forward and obviously that's where the first goal comes comes in. In the midfield, we had West Ham's Declan Rice, Leeds United's Calvin Phillips. Not one minute of um, European continental football, Champions League, Europa League, etc. Between them, they were playing Tony Kroos, World Cup winner, Champions League winner, Leon Goretzka, Champions League winger and I wouldn't say they dominated them but uh, Phillips was covering some incredible ground he was just obviously incredible again his running statistics obviously plus for Leeds you know it goes without saying he was incredible again Declan Rice was he seemed like he's been uh, seemed like a five-time Champions League league winner how composed he was in the uh, in the midfield there and the first half really it petered out it's kind of like a 50-50, wasn't it, really? Sterling had a good chance from distance. Harry Kane arguably should have uh, finished that chance off at the at, right on the edge of uh, half-time break, and that's when I thought it might not be England's night. I thought he might have had it, taken it first time. He may well have done um, in a different situation if he was a bit, had a bit more confidence, at least in front of goal. Obviously, we had uh, Timo Werner racing clear. Jordan Pickford saved it quite, uh, quite sufficiently there as well. So it was 50-50 first half. Light sparring is what I'd call it in the first half. So, and to be fair, the second half, it was probably a bit more dead than the first half, and that is exactly what England, what England wanted. Really, uh, Germany didn't really. They had one chance, Kai Havertz, with uh, a half volley, which Jordan Pickford punched about. Seeing the replays, it might have been hitting the bite, might well have been uh, careering into the uh, roof of the net. But Jordan Pickford again, a fantastic save, and Pickford's been. Nobody's been talking about him, but he's been fantastic. Everything that he's faced, he's dealt with. I can only think of the Stephen O'Donnell chance in the Scotland game and, of course, a couple of chances here. But when he's been called upon, he's been fantastic, as per usual, really. And so when, as I said, Jack Grealish come on for Bukayo Saka, it was a it was a change that was really, you could telegraph, because um, 65 minutes, I think, he came on. And it was a sort of change that I've... I've been sort of um, I've not been clamouring for Jack Grealish to start because I think Jack Grealish's quality is coming off the bench 
and providing something different. And he provided something a lot different here in the second half. He's got that mercurial ability, hasn't he? He's the ball retention, the ability to win free kicks. And also with Kieran Trippier, that is a huge, huge plus point for England against tired legs, which I, I discussed yesterday, which is why I think Jack really should start on the bench and come into the game almost. I think he should, every single game, come in with 25, 20 minutes to go. Give, give the defence, the opposition defence, something else to think about. And yeah, he's a fantastic footballer. You don't necessarily play your 11 best players from the off, which is what I think a lot of um, a lot of people tend to forget when the starting lineup gets released on social media and then there's a big uproar. I think there is a place and a function for players. Jack Grealish, obviously one of the best, one of the better players that England have got uh, from out wide. He's got a function and that function is come on, create something different. And as we've seen here, he did that. I don't think he quote unquote changed the game. I think he uh, capitalised on the system, the two systems at play, Germany. Kimmich was getting a bit higher and Jack Grealish just occupied that space. He became often the uh, the spare man and of course gifted it to Luke Shaw. One fluid move, obviously Sterling started the move, bustling through three players. I thought Raheem Sterling was absolutely immense last night. Again, easily the player of the tournament for England. Strides through three players, lays it off to Grealish and is a spare man. Gives it to Luke Shaw, who uh, was given licence by Jack Grealish to uh, burst forward. Lays it off, Raheem Sterling, 1-0. Wembley erupts, goosebumps everywhere, especially in the living room I was in. Um, broken cat flaps, beer everywhere. It was uh, some night and uh, Luke Shaw was fantastic as well. I thought he might have got the uh, man of the match or the star of the match, um, but it went to Harry Maguire because it was a fantastic defensive performance by England. Luke Shaw robbed uh, Serge Gnabry of the ball, burst up the pitch, gifted it to Jack Grealish and by this point England was smelling blood um, regardless of uh, the couple of chances that Germany had in between the goals and Jack Grealish gives it to Harry Kane it's a whiff of uh, controversy about it but uh, he went through he was onside Harry Kane gets his goal and that is going to be integral for England Kane getting the confidence from the goal he did look again quite tired he looked like he was uh, sort of he really looked heavy footed and sinking into this uh, grasp at Wembley I didn't think uh, he had a fantastic game he has a purpose again like others knocking the ball down for others so Saka Sterling and when they come back Foden Mount etc Sancho if he gets a game and uh, I thought he does have a purpose and it, it gave me more than a whiff of France 2018 with this one Kane might not be the fluid goal scorer that he potentially is for his club but he's almost cast as an Olivier Giroud figure here knocking balls down for the likes of Mbappe, Griezmann, etc, etc. But here it's Sterling, Saka, Grealish. And uh, I think it still works. Grealish uh, came coming deeper as a 10 or a 9.5, whichever you want to call it. Feeding others, Raheem Sterling's been the main beneficiary of that, I think. And in terms of in terms of the victory, 2-0, of course, it's tournament football. England bided the time. There was a lot more maturity. There was a lot more patience, more composure about the performance. This is the type of performance in the past would only be reserved for games like Panama, Tunisia, Slovakia, Wales in uh, tournaments gone by. Maybe not Slovakia, that was a dour nil-nil draw, but 
this performance, this maturity, this composure wasn't seen, he's never been seen, at least in my lifetime, against big teams. And I was putting it out to Twitter yesterday. When was the last time England beat a big team in um, knockout stage football? And a couple of people said uh, Spain in 96, which I'm of the belief that Spain in 96, they were probably a good team, probably a second tier team, a bit like England usually are. Um, in terms of big team, I classify them as... Um, Eternally, probably Italy, Argentina, Germany, Brazil. Germany, Italy, Argentina, Brazil. Yeah, um, France. Um, second tier teams like a Spain, a Netherlands, a Belgium, a Portugal, Uruguay. Those sort of belong to eras. And I think England do as well. England are in that mix. In terms of these eternally great teams, these big international teams, the last time we beat one was probably 1966 in the final. At least in knockout stage football, obviously beating Argentina in the group stages in 2002, France in 1982 in the group stages, of course. You could say Belgium in 1990 were along those lines, semi-finals from 86, but again, I think they're a bit like Spain from 1996. So these are reasons to be cheerful here. And I think a lot of Gareth Southgate's five-year tenure so far has been uh, shaking those monkeys off the back. We had it in 2018's last 16 with Colombia. Penalties, of course. That who do we gone. Now it's beat... Everyone was saying, well, you didn't beat a big team to get to the semi-finals. Um, Germany are a big team, of course. They are the biggest in Europe, for me at least. Um, obviously, on a downward slope, you can't get away from that. They are on a downward slope. Um, Yogi Love's tenure's ended, an era has ended. Hansi Flick will now come in, of course. And um, regardless, Germany are the biggest, most decorated international team in uh, European football. There's no getting around that, alongside Italy, for me. And... Um, I I think that's a monkey off the back. Like I say, it's the first time in 55 years that England have beaten a big team in knockout stage football. Colombia, I don't think, come into that as well. And obviously the history between the manager and the team he was playing, the history between the two nations, obviously 1996, 1990, that's a huge weight off the back as well. I think if, I think if England would have drawn France and beaten France, it would have been fantastic, yeah. But the history, what it meant on a deeper level for the people involved in terms of the manager Gareth Southgate and the two countries involved I think it needed to be Germany for it to have a little more weight to it and I think it is a huge weight off England's back now and I'm not saying that uh, the next two games if England are afforded two games are going to be a breeze by no means they're going to be a breeze it's a quarter final and a semi-final and a final in a major tournament but I think this is now the uh the blue touch paper being lit for what could be a very, very magical summer. And I think with Southgate at the helm, I think he will remain composed. He will remain um, sensible. He won't let the players enjoy this victory too much, although it is a fantastic victory. And it's probably going to be along the lines of the Columbia game. When we look back, when we go on Twitter, November 2022, when we're thinking of the World Cup, we're building up, we're building up England's hopes again to win another tournament. We'll be sat on Twitter thinking about um, the great moments from 2021, the summer. And our first thoughts will go back to Germany beating them 2-0, just like three years ago. The, the main thoughts, at least for my mind, obviously we've got the Trippier free kick against Croatia, but ultimately England lost that match. The bigger thoughts will be the Colombia penalty shootout win, and that still gives me goosebumps just like this will in a year's time when we're building up to the World Cup. And let's not forget, it's... Um, England's first ever knockout win in the Euros inside 90 minutes. 
the first Euros knockout goal from open play in 17 years. That being Frank Lampard in the extra time in uh, against Portugal, and that is just astounding. That's how that shows how um, much England have had to progress under Gareth Southgate. And by no means is it over, and by no means is it definitely coming home now. Next is Ukraine, Saturday, 8pm in Rome. There are positives and negatives to leaving Wembley and uh, leaving England and going to Rome. Negatives, of course, staying at home. I think, obviously, conserving energy with travel. Obviously, playing Ukraine. Ukraine have had a lot of travelling to do. Amsterdam, Bucharest, Glasgow, now to Rome. So even with that, and obviously Ukraine playing extra time, a lot of injuries as well for Ukraine, judging by the last few minutes of those that game last night. That was incredible. Um, England will have the fitness advantage. Um, there are positives as well to leaving because they won't get swamped up with the hype. I don't believe there's going to be a lot of hype in the next few days, especially beating Germany, all the media around it. I think the um, the players and the coaching staff, the manager, are properly attuned to um, dealing with the media. As we've seen in the past, um, England have flitted from overexposing themselves in the Sven era to wrapping themselves up in Cornwall, pretty much being in jail under Fabio Capello in 2010. I think Southgate's got the right balance, a perfect balance. I think a couple of days away in another country will do England good. Obviously, if England win that, which is a big if, still a big if, you shouldn't be taking it for granted because it is, even if it is Ukraine, what I said yesterday, they're probably the weakest team left in the tournament, regardless. Still got some good players. I'm not going to jinx it too much. Um, there's still uh, still a team to be beaten there in Rome. I think now the draw's opened up on paper, on paper still, on paper. The hardest game is out of the way. And Alan Shearer said, is this the best chance? This is the best chance England have got to win a trophy. We said that three years ago. So let's not uh, count our chickens too quickly. But what about Germany? Germany, I think, as I say, they sat too deep. Didn't give up enough space for the wing-backs, for England's wing-backs. I thought they were scared of England going into this game. And um, I thought they learnt their lessons. They were, even in the 4-2 win over Portugal, they were lessons that they had to learn in terms of how offensive their wing-backs were being. Obviously, goals, all of them came from the wing-back areas, but they were susceptible to the counter. They, they conceded two counter-attacking goals, and I'm sure, seeing their performance last night, they will have... Um, Love will have been focusing more on the two goals that they conceded than the wonderful wunderbar attacking sorry attacking football that they played against Portugal. Obviously, Hungary was was hardly a uh, high point for Yogi Love's tenure as Germany manager. And um, I thought Kai Havertz had a good uh, I thought, in and amongst that. I thought he had a good game, occupied some dangerous spaces. Obviously, he had that uh, volley well saved by Pickford. Timo Werner was, I thought he was a little bit on the precipice, but he had ultimately the best chance of the game. And um, Germany's pressing through the wing-backs, through Kimmich especially, came a little too late and he was found miles out of uh, space for the second goal and obviously gave Jack Grealish the uh, acres of room for the assist for Harry Kane. And um, of course, of course, I can't end this segment without saying it could have been an all-so-different affair had Thomas Muller had he scored that goal and that is a what if scenario coming to your YouTube screens in a couple of months time I'm sure of it oh my god um, yeah if he scores that England don't win the game simple um, I think all the euphoria around the first goal would just pop a pin in that balloon and Germany would be German about it 
take us to either extra time or penalties, beat us there and we would have a very different show on our hands today. But of course, the butterflies didn't flap their wings, the doors weren't slid. <laughs> and uh, I felt that Germany was stymied quite well by England's defence. They didn't offer enough and um, on the face of it, they didn't deserve to win the game. They had a few good chances. Three golden chances didn't take any of them. England probably had three golden chances as well, the two goals, and of course the Harry Kane. Sterling had a good chance saved, but, you know, it's a speculative shot from distance, isn't it? Um, but that Kane chance at the end of the first half, that was golden. Uh, better touch or a first-time finish, he scores that, and England probably have a more composed second half and beat them resoundingly, maybe. But that is all by the by because England are now quarter-finalists for the second tournament in a row, of course. What next for Germany, though? Well, Hansi Flick takes charge now. They're now fighting the heady names of North Macedonia and Armenia, who are ahead of them in terms of World Cup qualification because of um, North Macedonia's win in uh, Dortmund, I think it was, in March. So th- even despite that, Armenia have got three wins from wit- three, a 100% record in that qualification group. Germany, though, you'd fancy them to qualify out of that quite resoundingly. They should be fine. It's probably an end of an era for Thomas Muller, for for Mats Hummels. But they've still got plenty of talent waiting in the wings, haven't they? You know, in terms of defence, you've got Jonathan Tarr, they've got uh, Nicholas Sula, who rarely got on the pitch in this tournament. In terms of the style, I think Flick will go back to a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. Get his old Bayern buddies back in, Leon Goretzka will probably play a more integral role and um, perhaps we'll see the end of Tony Crows in a German shirt as well, although that's not might not be a too bad of thing. You've got Jamal Musiala as well waiting in the wings to step into the uh, breach there. You've got Gnabry, Sané, Werner Havertz, chock full of talent Germany, and the future should be positive. Hansi Flick is a DFB uh, man. He's there for the long term. He's, he's been, he was Yogi Love's assistant, of course, for the World Cup win in 2014, so he knows all about tournament football preparation, etc., etc. So... World Cup, they will be very, very dangerous proposition, may even win it, may will be front runners for that, um, obviously if they qualify, and I don't think this tournament should be uh, should be too much of a negative for Germany, of course they were knocked out fairly early on, just like the World Cup, but draw a line in the sand, that stage is over this is a very different Germany side going forward, and it sh- we shouldn't be inevitably when England draw Germany in the World Cup next year, we shouldn't be thinking oh we beat them in the Euros, so this will be easy no, this will be a very different Germany team and, um, yeah. Positive future because they've got so much good talent. They've got so much young Bundesliga talent coming through and they will be a threat again in Qatar next year. But 2021 isn't their year. It's proving like it could be England's year, but of course, a lot of football still to be played. After this short break, we'll be back with a 2021 trivial teaser and, of course... We will be playing, we'll be reviewing the Sweden game against Ukraine after this short, short break. Welcome back. Jorginho was the correct answer yesterday in yesterday's trivial teaser. Well done to Dean, Chris, Ryan, Jake and George for getting the correct answer. If you think you know the answer today, leave us a little message on Twitter at whatif underscore YouTube like those fine lads did. But today I am a... Midfielder. I've been managed by Ralph Hassenhutl. I've been managed by Ulia Nagelsmann. Some of my teammates have been Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Marcel Sabitzer, Konrad Leimer, Timo Werner, and Nabi Keita. 
I am a midfielder. I've been managed by Ralph Hassenhutl, Julian Nagelsmann, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been one of my teammates, as has Marcel Sabitzer, Konrad Leimer, Timo Werner and Naby Keita. Answer will be revealed on tomorrow's show where, of course, it being a rest day today, we'll still be we'll still keep going where we've got say another Euros rewind. We are looking back to nineteen ninety-six and a fine time to look back at that after yesterday's events. After this short break, we'll be covering the other quarterfinal from yesterday and of course previewing the four quarterfinals. Welcome back, Sweden one, Ukraine two. The big team news coming out of the Swedish camp was Jana Andersson plumping for the returning Dejan Kulazevsky in for Robin Kwaizan. Kulazevsky playing alongside Alexander Izak in the stereotypical Swedish 4-4-2. Meanwhile, for Ukraine, the huge news was that Ruslan Malinovsky was dropped and Ukraine went to a back three with Kristoff coming in for Mikolenko as well. Now this game playing in Glasgow, 8pm, perhaps in an ideal world, the Games would have been reversed, so we saw this match first and then we lumped straight into England versus Germany. But we do not live in an ideal world. And the transition going from a raucous 40,000 in Wembley to Hampden Park, Glasgow, with little under 10,000 perhaps, uh, was quite jarring on the BBC last night. But we weighed through. Sweden, I thought, um, were even more defensive than England. Extremely happy, elated even, to be without the ball. But they have that man in there, don't they? Emil Forsberg, he loves to carry the ball. He's their biggest threat going forward. Um, I gave someone some bad advice on fantasy, <laughs> saying to uh, drop Forsberg for Kulazewski, and I hope he didn't <laughs> after this game. Anyway, Ogun Stinston on the uh, left was very high on that flank, and he's been fantastic all tournament. One of the, one of Sweden's best players. We all know he's dangerous crosses. But regardless, Sweden were not offering too much, which... Anderson, I don't think, would have too much of a problem with that. Sweden, by their nature, a reactionary team. But I think one thing that Anderson did get wrong, I thought that Kulazevki would be better served from deeper, perhaps in Seb Larsson's place. Seb Larsson would come off uh, his tired legs um, in the extra time period. Meanwhile, Kulazevski, I thought he was fairly ineffectual. He's left slightly isolated alongside Izak in that 4-4-2. If, if he was probably more in his um, more recognised position, as out on the flank, he would have... Uh, been better served because he's a very good ball carrier, he's a very good uh, dribbler and I thought his talents were wasted in the uh, two, in a 4-4-2 really. Uh, meanwhile in his uh, place on the other flank at least Emil Forsberg, it was him who was um, creating the big chances for Sweden his speculative effort levelled things up at a perfect time before the half time break of course, massive deflection in that aided the uh, aided uh, Sweden's uh, levelling up process before the half Isaac, Alexander Isaac, he was quieter than in his other few games, but he was carving out opportunities. He um, carved out a, an opportunity on the counter for Forsberg. Forsberg curled it, looked for all the world it was going, but he hit the base of the post. And it was a sick and a really for Sweden. In a part of the game where it was, the game was very reserved, it was very um, Ukraine taking it to Sweden. The mesh of styles, I thought, helped Ukraine out massively since Sweden were never going to change from their 4 4 2, were they really? And. Um, it was a part of the game where the both sides just went, sod it, we're just going to go for it now. There were three huge chances inside about five minutes. Uh, this Forsberg one was the second one of those, curling it onto the post, hit the bar as well. It finally grew into the game, it was around the hour mark, and it seemed as though both sides just thought, oh, we're actually in a, in a knockout stage match here, we need to go and win this, as opposed to playing for a draw. Alexander Izak 
peeled off for a long ball and he shot wide and it was a warning sign for Ukraine. Of course, Forsberg doing his best Yamalenko impression, cutting in, hitting the bar though. And um, that changed the game really. He's so close. Forsberg was so incisive. He was popping up everywhere in between those lines. Ukraine didn't really have any answer for him, but of course, with those two chances, Forsberg could have easily had a hat-trick and Ukraine didn't really have an answer for him easily. Sweden's best best man on the night. Um, the defence never truly looked flustered. Of course, we had that horror challenge, which um, I still can't believe that some are saying it wasn't a red card because um, he got the ball first. Yeah, well, <laughs> Hugo Lloris got the ball first and nearly knocked out a man the other day, didn't he? Um, still a penalty. I'm not saying that was a red card by any means, but this certainly was. He's, how he didn't get a broken leg is he's a very lucky boy, that Ukraine player. And the fact that uh, UEFA kept insisting on showing us the images was even worse. <laughs> and it was, uh, I still see it that in my nightmares. And um, it was a red card because his studs are up and he's, it's dangerous. Um, it w- we wouldn't have been saying if he snapped his leg clean in half like Eduardo did all them years ago, there'd be no arguments. There was a red card. So why does it need a broken leg to say it's a red card? He's quite clearly heavily injured. And why he needed, a, why he had to hobble around the perimeter of the Hamden turf. He was there for about five minutes trying to get around the pitch. Just get a stretcher for him. It was unbelievable. And this was at the stage where they were dropping like flies. It was, it was an injury every other minute. And it was becoming a dangerous game. It was like a Royal Rumble at times. And the red card, obviously, obviously changed the game, doesn't it? Um, do Ukraine have enough quality to be a quarter finalist? I think they do. I think they do. Uh, Zinchenko was uh, pivotal for Ukraine in this uh, defensive uh, change. He was playing in more of a uh, traditional role as he does for his club at left wing back, though, in, in this uh, 3 4 3 system. He's usually a midfielder for Ukraine. And um, in possession, I thought Sweden were matching them a little bit earlier on. Uh, Organ Stinson was almost a full, almost a wing back with uh, Lustig dropping into a three and Seb Larsson, of course, as a wing back. Um, but that was in possession and Sweden very rarely had possession. So um, I think uh, some danger men really. Shaparenko hints that he could be dangerous. He's really good at carrying the ball. He had a bit of a wayward shot early on, but uh, it was a warning signs for Sweden there. He was doing some good things. He could find a pass. He can drive through with the ball, uh, provide it on the plate for my boy. Roman Yaramchuk, it looks like the golden boot train dream is over now, doesn't it, unfortunately? Unless he scores a hat-trick against England, which um, we don't want, but um, from an England perspective anyway, but I would get that sweet, sweet money. Um, no, <laughs> the, the chance is gone now. If it, Ukraine do beat England, I'll be all aboard the Roman Yaramchuk hype train once more, but uh, now is not the time for that, is it? <laughs> and uh, Yamalenko and Yaramchuk, I thought, were particularly dangerous in their combinations, and um, they drew the first save. Um, Yamalenko getting on the ball um, but Ukraine will be patient in their build up you, Sweden were obviously going to sit back all game and um, Ukraine just passed the ball around quite nicely Zinchenko providing the whip for a superb strike volleyed into the ground shushing the crowd as he does so and uh, a fantastic move and probably outside of that wonder strike in the first game against the Netherlands um, from Yamalenko is probably Ukraine's best goal at this, t- at this championship so far. Yamalenko I thought was very direct as usual. Sidorchuk was um, a fantastic, I thought he was fantastic in midfield. Uh, hit the uh, post as well, he laid off by Yamalenko. Karaveyev was good at right wing back, his delivery is quite dangerous. 
Um, Zabani has looked at home all torn. It's just 18. I think he's been slept on as a uh, as a young prospect at these championships. He's, I think that's why he's been so good. No one's talking about him because he's just doing work seemingly under a veil. He's been a fantastic defender so far. Probably one of the highlights for me for uh, Ukraine. Obviously, he's got Matt Vienko next to him. Uh, Mikolenko usually wasn't on the pitch the, this time in the three. Um, Malinovsky, I felt when he came on, he probably could have provided a bit more, especially against tired legs in extra time, and especially against a Swedish team that dropped deep. Malinovsky is exactly the type of player you want in there because he finds these little pockets. He's quick. He, he can just lay the ball off and then just fire in a shot. He didn't really do that, uh, which I was surprised by. And if he plays against um, against England, I'll be very uh, worried about him. I would be worried about Yamalenko, Shaparenko, Zinchenko. Of course, Yaramchuk, that goes without saying. And um, I I was slightly unimpressed with Ukraine because it looks as though they had the propensity to have a faster tempo. They're playing against Sweden. They've got to have, play with a faster tempo to break them down. And I felt that they could have easily won this game inside the 90 minutes. Obviously, that could have changed with the couple of glorious chances that Sweden have when they hit the post. But uh, Ukraine, I felt, could have done a bit more. They will have to do a bit more um, on Saturday night against the mighty England. Um, but as the game wore on, as it looked, um, as it went to extra time, as it almost became a bloodbath, it seems like both sides were a bit too scared to lose as the match wore on. Um, the death rattle was the, uh, the three huge chances, all of which hit the post. And... Um, Sweden made a triple substitution um, right before Danielsson's horror tackle, which it changed the game because Sweden have used subs that they, if they'd waited a couple of minutes, those subs would have been wildly different. And from then on, Sweden sat in with a 4-4-1. Robin Quires on one of the subs, extremely isolated. It seemed like the game was destined for penalties since around the 70-minute mark when those chances gave way for uh, for both teams being worried to not lose and amid players dropping like flies and at 10.30 local time here in Great Britain, Zinchenko provided a huge cross to Dovbik. 121st minute bang, header. Ukraine win. He reveals his GPS bra or whatever it is <laughs> under his shirt. Goes wild, gets the yellow card, which is stupid. And Ukraine are going through to their first ever European Championships quarterfinal, winning their first ever European knockout stage match. Hopefully that run doesn't continue from an England standpoint, but uh, a great redemption story for Dovbik as well, playing in the Ukraine league. He went out to uh, went out to Scandinavia, came back, uh, got his first call up about five or six years ago, I think. Didn't get a cap. This is one of his first caps. If not his first cap, I'm not entirely sure, but this is his first, second call up for the national team and he's repaired them. Been a bit of clamour for him to start. I've seen on social media really in tune with Ukrainian social media me but uh, I've seen from certain people there's been a bit of clamour to, for him to start and he's repaired them all in full because this is Ukraine's possibly aside from 2006 best moment in terms of a football nation a young football nation as well let's not forget as well and uh, Andrei Shevchenko going absolutely mental on the sidelines which is lovely to see Andrei Shevchenko of course before this tournament the only goal scorer for Ukraine at a international uh, European Championships rather with his two goals of course against Sweden in again a 2-1 win <laughs> but that was in the group stages all the way back in 2012 so as England who would we have preferred this is the quarterfinal preview section so Sweden defensively more sound um, the quarterfinal from 2018 was routine fairly it was probably one of the easier games Panama aside of course 
that England faced in Russia. They look very comfortable defending. Ukraine, I don't think, look as comfortable as the Barney's in there. They've got the names, but I think as a unit, I don't think they're as comfortable in defending as Sweden are. And um, a lot of Swedish players remain from that defeat in 2018. Of course, Isak and Kulusevski would have been the new danger men, but of course it isn't Sweden, it is Ukraine. Ukraine are equally as dangerous. My boy, Roman Yaramchuk. Andrei Yamalenko, we all know. Declan Rice will know. He he will be in that space when Yamalenko inevitably drifts in onto his left foot and Declan Rice will be there to patrol him. And of course, knowing him a bit more, does that help? Probably not. But um, but it does, uh, does mean that Declan Rice will be slightly mindful of Yamalenko's tactics. And of course, even though the Dutch were seemingly ignorant to it, it's quite obvious what Yamalenko is going to do. Sort it out Saturday, please. And of course, England do need to be mindful of uh, Stepanenko. I thought he had a fantastic game from midfield. They're driving force in the midfield. I think Ukraine will stick with a three now. What that means for Malinovsky is a whole different kettle of fish, really, because Dorchuk really knits the midfield together. And I can't think you. Can, I don't think you can uh, drop him off the back of this. You can't drop Stepanenko off the back of this. You certainly can't drop Zinchenko off this. A goal and an assist for the uh, Man City man. Of course, one of their danger men. Of course from the from the flanks him lined up with uh, Kyle Walker and uh, on that side could be a good thing I don't know whether England will go to a 3-4-3 again maybe they'll match Ukraine and maybe the 3-4-3 now is the way England are going the group stages were 4-3-3 the knockout phase is 3-4-3 or maybe it was just a simple matching of Germany's tactics last night and if that is the way Southgate's going to go obviously against Scotland England didn't match them and then toiled they're only game that they haven't won at this tournament so far so maybe Southgate's going to revert to matching teams at this tournament and I think that is probably the way to go it does sacrifice a player attacking wise but they showed last night they only need three players to attack and if you get a wing back I think Ben Chilwell will come in for Luke Shaw although that might be a little bit harsh on Luke Shaw but in terms of proper wing backs against Ukraine that could be an avenue but I think Luke Shaw's form does sort of lead him to a bit of immunity going into that team selection and um, of course, whoever the, whoever plays as wingers off Harry Kane, I think will have a very good game. Ukraine aren't as defensively structured. They could have a field there, but of course, Ukraine do have their positives as well. And it will not be it will not be an easy game. Let's get that straight. It is a tournament quarter final. Last time Ukraine were in a tournament quarter final, they faced the eventual winners in Italy, and I will say no more. The <laughs> the quarterfinals start in earnest on Friday and we start off with Switzerland versus Spain, 5pm British summertime. As we saw on Monday, anything can happen in the European Championships, can't it? And I think in terms of what Swiss, what uh, Spain have faced so far, their hardest task was Sweden. And I think Switzerland, they need to use Sweden's blueprint and using a back three, which will inevitably become a back five, that is definitely the way to go. Steven Zuber, I think he can take Switzerland up the pitch with his pace and his ingenuity, of course. Braylon Bolo as well. He can um, take the mantle of the Alexander Isak role that Sweden used so well in Seville um, a couple of weeks back. I think Kari Seferovic, um, despite my slagging him off during the early stages of this tournament, he can bully the Spain centre-backs a little bit if they are caught a little bit short. Will it be Laporte and Garcia? Will it be Laporte and Pau Torres? Probably going to be the first because they have that club connection, or used to at least. And um, I think Harry Seferovic can get in and amongst them. 
and um, shown he's shown that he could bully the French defence the other night, scoring two headers. Nothing to say that he can't do it again. And um, but ultimately, this is similar to what we'll see in the Belgium Italy game. Spain's inside forwards will cause immense amount of trouble flitting in between the uh, wing backs and probably going to be Nico Elvedi and Ricardo Rodriguez in those uh, wide centre-back roles and they'll cause a lot of problems. And I think, I don't think Spain have faced a three at this tournament. Poland would have flitted between a four and a three in-game, but Switzerland are more structured in their three. And I think it would be a whole different game for Spain. I don't think it's going to be another five goals, although I'm happy to be proved wrong because those games on Monday were just... They were a farce, but it was a, a very entertaining farce. And um, the channels is where this game's won, especially through Spain. And if those inside forwards, if those wing-backs get high, if those full-backs get high acting as wing-backs, then I think it works very well. In possession, Spain will, of course, have a lot of possession, but in possession, Spain are almost a three at the back anyway. Busquets dropping deep to um, kickstart the play. With Pedro and Koke, which... It could be potentially that Thiago comes in for Koke, but I think um, Luis Enrique will probably stick with the two ahead of Busquets that he had in Copenhagen. And I think that Busquets to Pedri is is the way Spain go to carve out these opportunities. Of course, Granit Xhaka won't be there. He's missing um, through suspension, through two yellow cards, and he will be a huge miss. But I think uh, Switzerland will have that dynamism of Remo Freuler and uh, Denis Zakaria to kickstart these counter-attacks. And of course, Zuba, Braylon Bola two very huge um, kickstarters and getting the team forward with their pace and I think it is going to be a lot closer than what the fixture suggests anyway we've seen that Switzerland can score goals now that's been a probably a criticism or a negative that they've had in tournaments gone by they are the UEFA Mexico um, no more of course because they're now in the quarterfinals they've breached that last 16 barrier that Mexico has struggled with for so many years harking back to 1970 and um, with that one, and uh, Switzerland have overcome those odds against inarguably the best team at the tournament, on paper at least, of course, because of the penalty defeat. And they will, of course, play in Tuesday's semi-final. The winner of that will play in Tuesday's semi-final against one of Belgium versus Italy. Inarguably, the biggest game of the uh, quarter-final lineup. Of course, Roberto Martinez is missing Aiden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne. But, of course... Togan Hazard, Yannick Carrasco, they remain dangerous. Dries Mertens will likely come in as well. And um, if I was Belgian, which I am not, Italy's insides forwards would terrify the life out of me. There is a clamour for Federico Chiesa, and I think I've been clamouring for Federico Chiesa all tournament, in spite of Dominique Berardi's insane performances so far. I think against this Belgian defence, if Martinez goes with Vermaal and Vertonghen and and Alderweireld, Chiesa against what would be for Malin on the left-hand side would scare the living daylights out of me if I was Belgian because Chiesa's running is phenomenal. He's quick. He will have the beating of this Belgian defence all day long. If Belgian choose to sit back, then um, I think that is the best way to go. Obviously, you cede a lot of space for, a lot of territory for Italy and that is what they do best. They sit in the attacking third, pop, pop a few passes around and look for that... Uh, Look for that breakthrough, which inevitably comes through Insigne, in spite of my frustrations with him as a footballer. Immobile, and of course, from deep, you've got uh, Verratti dictating things. You've got Locatelli, if he comes back. Barella, providing width. And now, Chiesa coming in, if he does come in, 
that provides Italy with enough width on that right-hand side. Of course, Berardi is prone to dropping in, in inside forward, as because he's a natural forward um, for his days from his days at Juventus, and uh, of course Sassuolo as well. I uh, football manager Lendrid as well. Let's not forget, of course. And um, I think if Chiesa comes in, there's no there's no need for Barella really because Barella is there to provide the width on the right. Because of course uh, Di Lorenzo or Florenzi, whoever plays. They they sit back in a back three in possession, and I think Locatelli is a lot more central. He's more attacking, arguably than Barella, and of course, banging form. He's got two goals so far this tournament. Matteo Pessina, of course, he's got two goals at this tournament, also in form. Could be another option for Italy if they choose to go with Chiesa, because I think that natural width will be there through Chiesa, and they can focus their three midfielders through the middle. Of course, Giorgino and Verratti little slightly a little bit deeper. And um, maybe come out for Barella. I'm not risking Barella in my fantasy team, so and neither should you. But I've also given horrific advice in the past, not too distant past. Meanwhile, for Belgium, in and amongst uh, the high attacking line with Spinazzola, extremely deep, almost as a left winger on his right foot, I think Romelu Lukaku can exploit that. He exploits the channels, he occupies them. We've seen that against Denmark. Both those goals came from Lukaku's tireless running in the channels. And I think that is one area where where um, Belgium can take on Italy and beat them. In spite of Kevin De Bruyne missing, in spite of Eden Hazard missing, they're lacking, they'll be lacking that creativity. But Lukaku, he can create as well, let's not forget. And of course, when you've got people like Tog and Hazard, who we've seen at this championship already, finish quite plump with a plum. He, Lukaku can easily find him. He the tireless ring will stretch that Italian defence. Whether or not Chiellini comes back is a different man. Of course, we see Lukaku play against these players every weekend and he's supremely successful at it and he's won a Serie A. He's got one of them under his belt. So he will be the main danger man with Hazard, with De Bruyne out, if they are to miss, of course. Roberto Martinez might be playing as uh, like an oboe, but um, we are expected to see Hazard and De Bruyne, Eden Hazard, that is, both missing, but... Of course, there are players in their place which can easily step up to the mantle, but Romelu Lukaku is the danger man. Yuri Tielemans, I'd like to see him put in a great performance. I think he will as well. He will be key as well for um, for Belgium. I think Axel Witzel, despite his injury problems before the tournament, I think he's come good as well. I've not had any criticisms or negatives about him either, so that shows how good he is as a professional to just slip back in after six months out and uh, take, um, take the games on as comfortable as as he has done. And of course, the final, or the uh, the final quarterfinal that we'll be previewing, of course, the penultimate quarterfinal, 5pm British summertime, Saturday afternoon. The pre-drinks to what will be an inevitable England triumph in Rome. <laughs> um, Denmark versus Czech Republic, of course. And as we see, as we said, Switzerland versus Spain, anything can happen in the European Championships. All these quarterfinals are up in the air, really. The, every quarterfinal always is. And this game has been played in Baku. The emotion, I think, has been removed from Denmark's campaign. Christian Eriksen, his healing, his discharging from hospital has helped Denmark dramatically. It's helped them overcome the trauma, the PTSD that they will have suffered in that first game against Finland. They are now playing purely off their own steam, on their own talent, not through the emotion that we saw against Finland as a negative not through that emotion that we saw against Belgium as a positive through that first 45 minutes where they played 
probably the best footballing half of any team we've ever seen in these games so far. Obviously, that fell down with um, legs being run into the ground, being tired, and obviously with the majesty of Kevin De Bruyne getting on the pitch and Romelu Lukaku, etc. But now, as we've seen in uh, Amsterdam at the weekend, Denmark absolutely thrashing Wales 4-0. Obviously, I think the scoreline slightly... Um, Slightly flat as Denmark a little bit, but they were easily the best team on the park that day. Damsgaard has been a revelation. The young man from Sampdoria probably going to get a move off the back of this, which doesn't happen too much these days, but that's likely to happen. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And let's not forget, he's in the place of Christian Eriksen and he's been absolutely outstanding. He will be a danger for Czech Republic. If he can get him behind the double pivot of uh, Thomas Hollis, who probably will remain um, in place ahead of Alex Kral and Thomas Suchek, of course, if he can pick up those spaces in between the double pivot and the defence, he's going to be extremely dangerous. Kasper Dahlberg and Joachim Meyler have been equally superb. Dahlberg, a late addition. He was in my fantasy team right from the start. Dropped him as soon as he started scoring goals, inevitably. But that's the story of my foot fantasy league life. But yeah, Emil Hoiberg has been a revelation from a creative standpoint as well. He's been superb. He's got, I think he's got still got the most assists. Although, is he tied with Grealish now? He'll, he'll be up ahead of Grealish, won't he, on two? Heuberg on three. He's been great from a... Uh, obviously, Thomas Delaney is alongside him. He can do the dirty work as well. He's been, obviously, doing fantastic stuff at these championships, which has allowed Heuberg to get venture a bit more forward. And we have seen Czech Republic flummoxed by quick attackers in this tournament. Demax certainly have that in abundance. Really. Dahlberg's great from the wing-back positions, if... Denmark continue to use the three at the back system. They have got Myler, who's been probably my favourite Danish player at this at this championships. Alternatively, of course, Czech Republic can be physical. Patrick Schick, of course, a danger man. Thomas Suchek, of course, also a danger man from set pieces and in play as well. He's a pivotal, pivotal box-to-box role. Thomas Hollis has had a great tournament since coming in as well. Man of the match performance for me against the Dutch in the in the uh, last 16. It should be a superb end-to-end game and I'm fully there for it. A great um, starter to what should be a great night on Saturday, hopefully. Um, it is a repeat of the 2004 quarterfinal as well. And um, going back to Omens from um, Italy beating Ukraine and then becoming world champions in 2006, listen to this. Czech Republic won that game 3-0 in 2004 and then lost to the winners in the semi-final. It was Greece in 2004. Will it be England this year? Well, we'll find out on Saturday night, won't we? And of course, we'll be remaining with the championships. Right, so its conclusion, we'll be previewing, we'll be reviewing, rather, all the action from the quarterfinals on Saturday and Sunday. We've got a couple of rewinds in between, a couple of rewinds after, in the build-up to the semi-finals and the final, of course, on July the 11th. And July the 12th will probably be our last show for the Euro Daily podcast, it's been a fantastic ride and it keeps on going. And of course, on July the 12th, I'm fully expecting to kick the show off with a rendition of It's Coming Home. Football's coming home, isn't it? Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.